What's happening? What's happening? Hello, my name is Brad Harden, and I'm the host of the brand new show here on the Hoop Ball Network, Hoop Ball Hawks, where we cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks, from box score breakdown, training camp, free agency, the rumor mill, you love John Collins, you love Ice Trey, you love JR Crickets, well, check us out, follow us at Hoop Ball Hawks on Twitter, follow myself at Brad Jarrett. Six, seven on Twitter, and we hope y'all check us out. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good Thursday to you all, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy part of the year. I am Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. You can also Google search Dan from Hoop Ball, and this is a Hoop Ball presentation. Figure you could put the pieces together on that one. Another day rolls along in the NBA postseason. Miami beats the Boston Celtics 112-109. In a game that was not as close, actually, as the last couple of possessions might have indicated. The Celtics hit a few three-pointers. The Heat missed a couple of free throws, made a couple of free throws, and ended up... uh, I mean, Miami was up, what? They're up like six most of the entire ballgame, really. And so that one went pretty much the way we expected, which was that you give a good team three days off to deal with whatever it is that the other club was throwing at them, and they're going to probably come up with something reasonable. We'll break that down in a little bit. We're going to continue to go in the same order we've gone in the past, which is introduce you to the podcast, which generally I think we've done here to this point. Quick check-in on what's going on with our buddies over at Hoopball HQ. We'll break down tonight's Lakers-Nuggets Game 4 in the Western Conference Finals and then recap the Celtics and Heat game from yesterday to see if it can give us any indicators of what to look for going forward. As far as hoopball is concerned, we have episodes coming out of our ears right now. I, I almost can't give you all of them. The guys over at Today in Sports Betting have had an unbelievable week of guests on the show. Paul Carr, Sam Panayotovich. Uh, Jonathan Von Tobel, like serious luminaries in the sports betting industry are coming on with our guys, Devin and Ira. Those shows are awesome and they're winning you money. Hoopball Kings dropped an episode last night. Damian Barling and Jill Adge with a breakdown of Monty McNair's first press conference. The Hoopball Heat, our newest podcast, had two episodes yesterday. Joe Stroman dropping a pregame Look at what he thought might happen with Heat and Celtics, and then a post-game show that dropped in the middle of the night and was posted to Twitter first thing this morning. Hoopball Hawks, one of my favorite new voices in the basketball world, Brad Harden, with an episode from yesterday uh, talking about the Hawks bubble minicamp players returning to the roster. They're invited to that. They uh, the continued pitch to Giannis for the next offseason. I honestly don't know how some of these guys are continuing to find all of this stuff, but deep dives, if you really want to learn about these teams, there is no better way to do it than to follow these shows and these incredible NBA voices and people. So just great stuff going on over at HoopBall. Hoop-Ball.com is the website. HoopBall Tweets is what you want to follow if you want to see all of that stuff under one Twitter umbrella. 
Tonight, Lakers, Nuggets, line, Lakers by six, total 214 and a half. It is exactly the same as the closing line from game three of 214 and a half. And if history is any indicator, whatever happened the previous game is probably going to dictate where the slow trickle of public dollars come throughout the day. So you'll probably see that game that line move up ever so slightly. So if you like the over, you got to get in there quick. If you like the under, you probably wait until the end, and we'll tell you which way we lean as we work our way through a breakdown of the ball game. What I first want to do before we go into uh, the breakdown of what's about to happen or what we think might happen with Lakers and Nuggets tonight is quickly remind you guys that all of the lines and all the betting money we are collecting right now, and we are collecting, man. Brew, he was 3-0 and yesterday. Our leans on this podcast were 2-0 yesterday. Ira, Devin, Troy, those guys just keep clobbering. They got football plays out right now. Mid-majors, Thursday night football. It's all the good stuff. Soccer plays, baseball plays. You got to follow all of these guys, and you can do it. All of the plays right now at HoopBall are completely free. We're tweeting everything out that we're doing. We're putting it on podcasts. There's no easier way right now to make money. Slowly, don't overbet. Then to go to mybookie.ag, open up an account with promo code HOOPBALL. That unlocks a 100% deposit match bonus promo. Put in the word HOOPBALL on that third page of sign-up where it asks you for a promo code or where you heard about the show. And that gets uh, recognition. They can be like, oh, cool, HOOPBALL sent this person over here. And it unlocks the promo code for you guys. Again, it's mybookie.ag, promo code HOOPBALL. I want to I want to remind you guys the most important thing about our friends over at MyBookie. The cash outs are easy. They're not hard. They'll pay you. You bet, you win, they pay. That's it. It's not like the old days where you need nine forms of identification and you need to like show up at a doorstep in the Caymans to collect $25. It doesn't work like that anymore. You just bunch in an e-check number and they'll send it to you and it takes whatever it is, a handful of business days. Then boop, there it is in your account. That's the way it works these days. You know, there's a lot of fear on that front from folks that have done online gambling, you know, in the 2009-2011 window. Uh, it was a different. It's a different world now, as as online gaming becomes legalized in a state by state process, I guess, across the U.S. But it's just it's easy now. They want our dollars. It's not like they just exist and we have to find them. They they are now a business model that is trying to get customers, and so that's why these awesome promos exist. Let's talk a little bit about the game coming up tonight because I have a few thoughts on this one. And when I say a few, I mean uh quite a few. Lakers lost lost uh the uh, game 3, Denver won it 114-106. The series now Lakers lead two games to one. Anthony Davis is game winner in game 2. Basically the only thing that's keeping this thing from a Denver 2 to 1 advantage because by all accounts they probably should be winning this series. They're not. It doesn't matter how we got to that point. What matters is what the two teams do going forward. We talked a little bit about these things during our recap of Lakers Nuggets game 3 on yesterday's podcast, but I want to rehash a few notes. Number 1, the rebounding situation was a wreck. Lakers got out-rebounded by 19 in that ball game, they had their lowest rebounding total of the entire season. Of the entire season. Playoffs, regular season, whatever. 25 rebounds is their lowest mark of the year. Some of the lowest rebounding numbers for the Lakers all season long actually came against the Nuggets, who have done, to their credit, 
a marvelous job of boxing out, keeping the Lakers off the offensive glass, and also uh, securing some offensive rebounds when Lakers are in what you might call sort of a semi-scramble drill, guys trying to recover to people that they switched off of, and we saw a lot of that in Game 3. The One of the biggest issues, I thought, for the Lakers defensively in Game 3 and it was confirmed by reading through and looking through some of the film of that ballgame, was as I was watching, I was looking at the game and thinking, the Lakers are doing something different on defense right now, and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And I admit, in the moment, I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was that was happening. I, I, I didn't see as many plays in Game 3 where tiny people were guarding Nikola Jokic in the post, and I thought, hmm, that should be a win for the Lakers, but instead, Denver was just wide open everywhere. And going back to the film and looking through, and it, you know, it, I'm not going to rewatch the entire ballgame here because there just is a limited amount of time, and this is a fantasy basketball podcast, but I want to make sure we're making the right bets on things, so we'll take the time we need to take on it. Upon looking at the film, the Lakers were attempting harder in game three not to switch the pick and roll they were really trying hard to keep the big man on Jokic to keep the little man on Jamal Murray although admittedly I don't think that was as big of a deal as keeping the big man on Jokic at least sort of in the Lakers minds of how they were going to counter the Denver attack was keep the big man on Jokic if he's going to back down a big guy in the post everybody else can kind of stay home make him a one-on-one score but it didn't work that way I don't know precisely how. I saw some tweets about how Denver was able to make the Lakers switch or force them into a bad spot. And and what I was reading, and I don't know if this is... I, I didn't see this as I was watching the game, but I'm inclined to believe that it's true because people that dive into the X's and O's more often than I do were saying it, which is that the Nuggets were actually creating so much separation between the, the screener... And the ball handler, which, you know, in, in most situations for them is Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Murray comes around the screen from Jokic and then fades sideways, basically creating more space where a Lakers big man or small man would have to recover. And for the Lakers, instead of just switching it at that point, they sent those two guys scrambling back and forth 10, 15 feet or whatever which is, for these guys, I mean, that's way too much room. So Murray can get the ball to Jokic while there's a big man running after him from behind. That forces somebody else to come down and try to stop Jokic, which then creates all these opportunities. And you saw it in Game 3. Jeremy Grant took massive advantage of that. Monty Morris had 14 points on only 7 shots in 20 minutes. It was mostly Jeremy Grant. He was the guy that saw the bulk of the chances presumably because his man was the one helping to try to keep Jokic from rolling all the way to the rim, and then Grant was just wide open with nobody there to cover him. It didn't work. It worked much more poorly than the Lakers just saying, all right, screw it, we're just going to switch, because generally the first two ball games, the Lakers' big man actually did an okay job on Jamal Murray. I know Murray had 25 points in Game 2, but he played 44 minutes, took him 19 shots to get there, and he, you know, if he doesn't go 7 of 8 out of the free throw line, he's actually sort of under, uh, under sea level 
from an efficiency standpoint. And in game one, he had 21 points on only 12 shots, but a lot of that stuff happened uh, late. Jokic wasn't very good, and the Lakers just ran the ball down Denver's throat in that game. That one was not a, a, a great example of what a defense might do. Then you move to game three, and all of a sudden, uh, Jamal Murray is still struggling for a lot of the ball game. He hit some huge shots late in that game. So I don't look, I mean, he had a great game. Not going to take anything away from it. Eight rebounds, 12 assists is the number I'm more concerned about. The 28 points were fine. You know, he had one of his high efficiency, hitting incredibly tough shot type games, the 30 foot high arcer, the step back over Caruso. I mean, he had a bunch of, I think he had eight points in like the last two minutes of that ball game. And it was a good game before that, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the superstar level numbers that everybody's talking about because of those two difficult shots. That's what everybody's watching. What I was watching in the game was the fact that he had 12 assists as a facilitator. The Lakers made life way too easy for him. And it was all a result of that weird scrambling racing back defense where, you know, Murray was able to move maybe too far away from the bucket to hit a comfortable looking shot. But he had guys that were just standing around wide open. He hit Jokic for open shots. He hit Grant for open shots. The Lakers weren't where they needed to be because everybody was in a, in a constant scramble drill. So that assist number for Jamal Murray, if I'm the Lakers, that's the thing I'm more concerned about. He's going to have games where he hits tough shots. He's going to have games where he doesn't. You can do stuff about it. You can you know, make life consistently hard. Try not to let him get into too much of a rhythm. But once he gets going, he gets going. I mean, that's, we know that about Murray. He can, get, he can get supernova hot, and he'll hit those crazy shots. And it's, you know, it's a little bit like dealing with, with Dame in round one for the Lakers, where sometimes he's just going to hit crazy difficult shots. You just have to try to make it as hard as possible. What you cannot do that the Lakers did in game three is allow guys like Jeremy Grant to explode for 26 points. Just unacceptable. You can't leave him that open. You can't send him to the free throw line that often. You just can't do it. So I don't know what the Lakers are going to do in game four. Are they going to go back to just switching and saying, look, fine, like Jokic is going to back down our little guy in the post. We're not going to send help. We're going to just make him very slowly work his way towards the bucket and take a crap ton of shots, but not facilitate, not get anyone besides Jamal Murray involved in the ballgame on the Denver side and let them stagnate. Scoring in the post slowly is fine. I mean, he might have success with it, but if you take away runouts and open three-pointers, you make a team pretty one-dimensional, and every time he misses, the Lakers can get running. You know, it's not... Also, rebounding is easier in those spots because everybody's on their man. Jokic can try to back down, and then he can maybe rebound over the little guy that he was, that he was backing down, but, I mean... The rest of the Lakers, they're on a particular dude instead of racing and scrambling and flying by guys taking three-pointers. That created all those offensive rebound opportunities. So I don't know what the Lakers are going to do, but breaking the game down, there were some pretty obvious things that didn't work defensively for L.A., and Denver just kept slowly pulling away in this ballgame until the Lakers went to a zone in the fourth quarter. Do they use that early in this game? I would venture to guess probably not. I think they'll probably pull it out of their bag of tricks when the personnel on the floor makes the most sense. Maybe they'll throw it at him in the second quarter. Maybe they throw it at Denver in the fourth again. I'm sure they'll have some sort of trick to use in there. And the question is when you see it. Denver defensively doesn't need to do anything different. 
They ran what they ran at the end of game two for pretty much all of game three, and it generally worked. I, yeah, I know the Lakers shot 52% from the field, but remember, a, a series of shots were dunks right in a row early in the fourth quarter. And overall, you know, they limited second chance opportunities. They limited free throw opportunities for the Lakers. Overall, this was a big win for Denver defensively. The Lakers did not attack that pre-rotating defense the right way for the entire ballgame. They were better. They were better. But I thought my biggest issue, I think, with the Lakers actually was the personnel. I thought the substitution pattern was weird in Game 3, and it left too many situations where the Lakers had no floor spacing and no inside presence. Like, what's the point at that? At You know, when you've got... Look, I love Alex Caruso. I think he's he's been key to whatever the Lakers have done because of his energy, athleticism, and defense, but he's not a shooter. Rajon Rondo, not a shooter. Those guys were on the floor at the same time with LeBron, who's also not really... I mean, yeah, okay, he's obviously gotten a lot better over his career, but he's not really what you'd call a shooter. The Lakers, if you want to talk about guys that teams have to respect their three-point shot, and it didn't go great for them in this particular... in, in Game 3 in particular, but overall... Uh, KCP has shot the ball well from downtown after one really bad game, basically, to start the playoffs. Um, Markeith Morris has been good from downtown, but defensively he's been horrific in this series. He's almost unplayable. Uh, and then Danny Green, who's very streaky, as we know. He had that last ball game where his three-pointers pretty much all rimmed out. He had open looks. They just didn't drop for him. Those guys need to be out there. Someone in that group needs to be out there to keep a defense honest. And also, someone like AD or Dwight or McGee needs to be out there to punish a Denver defense for when they're packing the paint against one of the Lakers' driving players because that means other guys are open. But the problem, as we've detailed already on this show, I think twice now, one sort of recapping Game 2 and now recapping Game 3, and we'll do it again here as we prepare for Game 4, the big issue there is if you don't have a dunker, if you don't have a big man on the floor that can punish a team for vacating their men, then all you have is LeBron driving with Caruso and Rondo on one side of the floor. And who was on the other side? Kuzma and Markeith Morris? Is that who was on the opposite side? Markeith Morris is really the only three-point threat on the floor in that unit. So Denver's like, yeah, we'll pack the paint, and we have no problem scrambling back for a partially contested three against these guys. The only one of these dudes that's going to hit it is Markeith at, at a reasonable clip. And, you know, sure enough, he did. He had one of his two shots in that ballgame. Uh, but the rest of those guys, they don't care. They don't care if Rondo's semi-open for three or Caruso's semi-open for three. That doesn't worry them at all. So I, I'm very curious to see if the Lakers are able to make these relatively simple decisions. Like, we didn't see Dwight until, what, this, the eight, seven-minute mark of the second quarter in that game? And he's probably been their best big man and best defender of big men. And he's had foul issues. He really needs to try to dial it back somehow. But this game four is all about what the Lakers do adjustment-wise. The Nuggets can just keep doing what they're doing. Aside from a, a wretched five-minute span against the Lakers' zone defense, the Nuggets owned Game 3. Owned it. I know they only won by eight, and I know the Lakers had two chances late to tie it on a three-pointer. 
the Lakers had no business being that close in Game 3. The Nuggets beat the hell out of them. Jamal Murray was very good. Jeremy Grant was brilliant. Jokic was good. Michael Porter Jr. hit some contested shots, as he usually does. Monty Morris was great. I mean, they just had great looks from everywhere, and even the bad looks they made. Denver clobbered in Game 3. That shouldn't have even been an 8-point game. They should have won it by 15. Lakers, Lakers got beat in every facet. Their defense was not as good. Their offense was not as good. Vastly out-rebounded, out-shot at the free-throw line, out-shot from the field. The assists were the same. That's about it. That's about it. Well, Lakers can hang their hat on. They forced a bunch of turnovers in the fourth quarter. So now we, we turn our attention to the game at hand. First of all, I don't think there's any way I could take Lakers by six. They've shown me nothing over the last uh, like game and a half, roughly, to indicate that they can beat Denver by six points by multiple possessions over an entire ball game. If the Lakers make the all of the adjustments we're talking about, all of them, they still don't really stop Denver's offense. No one in the NBA has been able to stop Denver's offense. It's just you can't really do it. They have the the a perfect pick and roll combination of a big man that can score and pass from anywhere on the floor and a guard that can score and is developing the ability to pass from most places on the floor. How do you defend that? You can't really. You just you your best job as a defense is to keep the other three guys from doing anything, make it a two-man game, stagnate things, slow them down to a point where, you know, it's hard to get into a rhythm, no easy buckets kind of deal. Put your best defenders in the best possible spots. Don't let them get any second chance points and then you just you sort of live with the consequences from there. Denver's going to get Denver's going to get 100 some odd points. It's sort of it, it almost feels inevitable. I know they scored 114 in the first one, 103 in the second ball game, um, largely because of, you know, 19 turnovers in that one. The pace was still actually relatively high in that game. They just sort of underperformed and then 114 again in the last ball game. Like there's to me there's almost nothing that stops Denver from scoring about 106 to 112 points in this ballgame. I don't know how you do it unless you really slow the game down, and I don't think the Lakers really want the game slowed down. On the L.A. side, that's the question mark because the Lakers scored 105 in their win on 106 in their loss. If they don't make the proper adjustments on offense, they could very easily end up at around 100 points. The turnovers are going to be there. They're not going to get fouled very much because they're not getting to the rim. They're going to have to try to hit jump shots. It didn't really work in Game 3. Aside from a blitz in the fourth quarter, they did not score the ball well. So sure, Denver can get there 110, but can the Lakers get to 105 to get this game to an over? I'm inclined to think the Lakers do finally see some of the cracks. Meaning, you know, they 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 know that they need to get stops, turnovers, and defensive rebounds. They're gonna there's gonna be more effort for the Lakers on the glass in this ball game. But also I think there has to be uh, a better realization of the Lakers on the offensive side that you can't over-penetrate because it closes off the passing lanes and they have to get the right personnel on the floor at the right time. They can't have the poor shooting guards on the floor with LeBron James. You can only have one playmaker who can't really shoot that well on the floor if you're L.A. Maybe you could get away with LeBron and one other poor shooting player. 
but it can't be two, particularly on the guards and wings. You can get away with going big if you wanted to, because what Denver's doing also opens up opportunities for big men to get to the rim, just not the ball handler. So if LeBron's out there with Caruso and Rondo for any stretch of time, it's bad news, especially if they don't have someone to protect the rim on defense on the other end. Can the Lakers make these adjustments? I'm confident they do. Not confident enough to say that they can cover six points. I still, if I'm taking a side, it's Denver. They've shown me nothing to this point to say they're going to get blown out by more than six points in a basketball game in this series or maybe for the playoffs, frankly, if they have any energy, which they do. And I think I would lean ever so slightly to the over. I think both teams end up near 108. I think it goes over by about one possession. But I'm, I'm tempted to say that this total is actually pretty close to where the ballgame ends up. I think the final score of this game is something like Lakers 108, Denver 106. Lakers 110, Denver 106, 107. Something like that that just barely gets over the mark. Maybe because of a free throw late. It might be similar to that Boston-Miami ending, which we'll talk about here in, in a matter of seconds, but that's where I'm leaning on this ballgame. Nothing, nothing super strong. Probably, I think Denver plus six is probably your best play on the board with this game tonight. Right? Like, was anything, Have you guys seen anything to make you think the Lakers can cover six points? No way. I'm not taking that haircut. No chance. Oh, hey, speaking of which, uh, check out our buddies over at Manscaped.com. Get yourself a lawnmower 3.0. Many of you have done it, and all of you have come back satisfied. It's pinch-free, it's waterproof, it's got a built-in LED light, and you can get it for 20% off and free shipping with our code Mans- uh, HoopBall20. Sorry, Manscaped.com is a website. Code is HoopBall20. Dan can do this. Dan can do this. Root for Dan. HoopBall20 is the promo code, 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. If you don't want to get the full lawnmower, you can get some of their other swag. They've got the nose hair clippers. They've got a shaving shaving mats, disposable shaving mats. they got fingernail stuff. I actually might need to get, I might go there today and get the nail kit. My nails are a disaster. Uh, they've got powders, lotions, oils, boxers, t-shirts, you name it, they've got it. And you know, it's all 20% off with free shipping on that promo code again is hoopball20 quick recap on what happened yesterday i don't want to make this one last too long because you know we'll break down this series both series on tomorrow's show looking towards the weekend miami 112 boston 109 we had the over as our strong lean on this ball game and that's the way it went we also had miami on the side and that covered and actually they won outright as well tyler hero the hero of the day that's a joke that's been made way too many times already 37 points for the young buck five three-pointers in the ballgame, 21 shots is all it took him to get there. Adebayo, 20 points on only 11 shots. Jimmy Butler was uh, fine, but not spectacular. And Goran Dragic took him a lot of shots to get to his 22 points. But uh, again, the other guys got the job done. For the Celtics, they kept their defensive guys locked in. Dragic was unable to get fired up the way he had been in the past. But then, you know, Harrow coming off the bench, clobbered. He was amazing. Jason Tatum, terrible first half, good second half. Jalen Brown was good again. Kemba Walker was fine. Gordon Hayward was decent enough. Marcus Smart had one of his poorer shooting games and fouled out. And for Boston, they're on the ropes. They're on the ropes. I mean, we kind of had a feeling coming into this ballgame 
that Miami would have some adjustments when you have that much time off. I'd almost rather be the team that lost going into a long layoff like that. The teams that win, it's harder to convince yourselves these are the things we actually need to do differently when you've won. You kind of want to just go out and do it again. It's like, all right, well, we won, so ultimately, you know, whatever we were doing was fine. And for Boston, I don't think, I mean, you're not going to make that argument that they just came back out and tried the same stuff again because it's not like they weren't competitive in this game, but they just were unable to really slow down a few key heat, and that killed them. If Tyler Hero doesn't go bananas, Boston probably wins the ballgame. But he did, so they didn't. The reason we had the over in this game at, uh, at 212 was that the previous game way, way the hell back on Saturday uh, of last week. It's a long time off between basketball games. Was that that total went over and actually probably should have been even higher. Remember, Boston won that game 117-106. It ended at 223. The expected total was actually closer to 226 or 227. And so even if you thought the game slowed down, which... Undoubtedly, these series, they, they do tend to move in that direction. There was still wiggle room. And on top of that, there was, at least in my expectation, the, the, I thought the Heat would shoot the ball better into that next ball game, even if the free throw count wasn't quite as high. So there were things that were, were sort of ready to counterbalance each other. And all we really needed to worry about was the actual pace of play. So looking back at that game once again on Saturday, very quickly, as we sort of game plan going towards the future here, we won't take too long with this process. The expected result was that Miami should have scored 115 points in that game. Boston should have scored 114, so Boston overperformed by about three compared to their expected rate, and Miami underperformed by nine. So actually, the total should have been 229 in that game. If we look at the ball game from yesterday, Miami winning again 112 to 109, the final total of 221. Uh, Boston should have been around 111 or so, 111 and a half. So they actually underperformed by a couple. And Miami should have been at around 112. So they pretty much hit their mark right on the nose thanks to super low turnover. Yeah, Miami didn't shoot the ball all that well. They were only at 43%, but they shot the free throw very well and only turned the ball over eight times. So they were able to hit their expected mark thanks to capitalizing, not making mistakes, and then you know getting to the line and actually making them when they got there. That was a big deal. Um, Adebayo only missing two of his eight free throws was super helpful. Robinson, Hero... Dragic, they went a perfect 10 for 10. Jimmy Butler, 8 for 9. So they, they capitalized the free throw line. That was a pretty big deal for them. Uh, on the Boston side, they weren't bad at the free throw line, but 19 turnovers is what kept them from likely winning this ballgame. Another reason why, looking at the metrics, Celtics probably should have won this game, if not for Tyler Hero's uh, theatrics and Boston committing way too many turnovers. That's They kicked themselves. But again... You know, they're down three to one. Boston is far from dead in the water. If they take better care of the basketball, they win the ballgame. You know, four turnovers apiece for Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and six for Jason Tatum. 14 for three guys. That's just, that's too many. Again, the Heat only had eight as a team. Smart and Brown knocked that out between the two of them. Too many turnovers adjustments to be made on that Boston side to take better care of the basketball. 
Take better care of the basketball. They t- 11 turnovers was the difference in this ballgame. 11. Even if you only assume they score one point per turnover, which generally speaking, if they lead to runouts, that's actually kind of on the low side. Boston wins this game easily. Going away. And it's also worth noting that the expected total here was about one or two points higher than the final total. 221, it could have been a 222-223. So the pace did slow down. That's one thing I want us to not overlook as we're talking about you know, turnovers and foul shooting and three-point shooting and stuff like that. The, the pace of play was slower. From 229, it came down to 223. And that's what happens in these series as they progress. The ball game tomorrow, the total is 213. It'll probably get bet up. And the question is, can Boston take better care of the basketball? Can the Heat? Will the Heat not take quite as great care of the basketball? Like, eight is really low. Good foul shooting, that type of stuff. I think the only thing you really look at is the pace of play. And I think if it does come down another four or five points in terms of speed, you're looking at a total that's really close then. 215, 216 is probably your expected final number. That does not leave a lot of wiggle room. You could potentially grab an over today. And then maybe if it bets up to 215, 216, you try to take an under. Because I think this number is now getting pretty damn close to where the ball game ends up my thought on that game tomorrow but we'll break that down we'll break down the whole weekend tomorrow after we have the results of lakers nuggets tonight quick reminder by the way of our new partner over at expressvpn not going to do the full read on today's show it is expressvpn.com slash hoopball they will give you an extra three months on your virtual private network with the purchase of their one-year deal that is part of the sweet sweet package we'll tell you more about that on uh, tomorrow's show or maybe even on monday's show That is Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy. No news. No news out of the NBA world to break down on today's show. So just go open a damn account at mybookie.ag and follow us because we're clobbering. There's money to be made. Isn't that what you want? I mean, isn't that partially why you're playing fantasy sports? Let's get into the sports betting world. Mybookie.ag, promo code HOOPBALL on that third page. Do it. Tell us about it. We'll, We'll give you a shout out if we do. Uh, and last thing before we go, the time machine from our buddy Adam King at Adam King 91 on Twitter, September 24th, this day in basketball and fantasy basketball history last year, Chris Bosch came out to praise Bam Adebayo saying he thinks he can be one of the best big men in the league. People laughed. They're not laughing anymore. Two years ago, Scotty Brooks wants Kelly Oubre to be one of the league's best two-way bench players. He got traded. Same day, Ennis Cantor said he wanted to retire with the Knicks. (laughs) Same day, Kemba Walker said he's confident he will remain with the Hornets following the end of the 2018-2019 season. And four years ago, Brad Stevens said that rookie Jalen Brown has a large learning curve. Isn't it funny to think about what happens? By the way, isn't it weird to think about how long Brad Stevens has already been with the Celtics? Time is fleeting, even if this year, 2020, is one long, weird day. I am Dan Baspers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Enjoy your Thursday, everyone. Enjoy Lakers Nuggets. Hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions, at Dan Baspers, or if you want to be part of our recruiting process. If you bring something to the table, hit me up. Why not? What could it hurt, right? 
What's the worst thing that happens? Doesn't work out? Not a big deal. Anyway, back at you tomorrow morning. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.